You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation. So welcome to Simulcast and our special episode on mentoring. Today we're taking a deeper dive into why we have a mentoring relationship, how to start and sustain one, and with a particular emphasis on how this applies to our simulation community and how it applies in a world where much of our mentoring has gone virtual. So I've got two guests to help me with this conversation. Uh, Risa E. Lewis is an emergency physician in Philadelphia and podcaster, and she's the host of the Visible Voices podcast, also a previous guest on Simulcast. How are you, Risa? Great, Vic. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And with her is Adara Landry, who's an emergency physician in Boston, where she's an assistant residency director. More on that later. And she's passionate about mentoring students and residents. How are you, Adara? I'm doing amazing. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, we better start with you both. Uh, Why are we even talking about mentoring? How did you get interested in this? Uh, Maybe, Adara, you can tell us a little bit about the background to um, mentoring and you. Yeah, I started um, mentoring probably heavily about a year ago. Um, I'm someone who has been um, blessed with a amazing, an amazing panel of mentors for the last six or so years. And I would say this last year, I sort of come to a very comfortable place in my career where I felt like I had the bandwidth to give back. And I wanted to spend time helping others so that their trajectory, their journey was easier than mine. And once I found myself in a place where I understood how to navigate academics, how to navigate education, how to navigate the workplace, I just started to really dedicate the time to helping others who I felt had similar perspectives of life, um, similar struggles that I have had. And it just became very natural for me. It's a, it's a really fun outlet for me. And I really enjoyed working with Dr. Lewis on this as well. And um, we've collaborated together on um, many projects and we have more that we're coming down the pipeline with. Ah, fantastic. Well, Dr. Lewis, that sounds very formal. Uh, Risa, did you want to add to that um, introduction? What about you? Why are you interested in mentoring? You know, I think mentoring first came on my radar around the time that these terms became popular, coaching, mentoring, sponsoring. Uh, What is the difference? What is the overlap? Uh, How do different people play roles in your life? And it's also around the time that we started seeing formal, quote, mentoring relationship, mentoring programs uh, sprout up in academic medicine. Uh, A lot of us are fans of the Harvard Business Review. And I would say I started seeing these articles in the business literature, literature, uh, and then they slowly, you know, uh, moved over and we're seeing it more increasingly in the medical literature. And like most things, um, you know, I, I did a bit of reading to try to be effective, to be intentional, to be good. And also, I think it was actually after having my own personal experiences, both successful and what I'll call maybe not unsuccessful, but more um, learning opportunity, mentorship experiences that I thought, you know what, there's something to this. And something Adara just said really resonates with me. I also was motivated by trying to have trainees in particular have an easier time of it, uh, an easier experience navigating. And there is this element that for some of us, we're not quite given the playbook or the rule book. And why not sort of disperse information and make it more accessible to others earlier, sooner, so they can have it easier? Yeah, absolutely. There's stuff in it for them, um, but there's also stuff in it for us, as you rightly point out, I think. And uh, Risa, you and I are 
a little bit older than Adira, and so we've probably been at both sides of this mentoring relationship. Um, Adira, Risa mentioned the Harvard Business Review. What she didn't say is you guys have actually published an article on this topic in that esteemed publication. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was a journey, um, a really fun one where we've learned a lot about pitching and curating words and constructing sentences. Um, one of the things that I would say about this article was, you know, as we were researching what they have published previously, we found a gap. I mean, a lot of the articles are about why we should mentor, what are the benefits of mentoring, who we should mentor, but not a much, not much about the strategic, practical ways in which we can be good, efficient mentors. And I think the article came out around the time of COVID, the, the, the peak of the pandemic, where people were really strained with time, with energy. And we wanted to capture the idea that people still needed to move forward in their careers. People still needed support. People still needed to go for grants and promotions. And so even though there was this huge pandemic going on, our careers were still rolling through the, the process of, of a, you know, a day-to-day. And so we constructed this article that we thought was geared more towards very practical, finite tips that we thought would be great, not only in the pandemic, but also even once this passes. Um, so for time going forward as well. Mm, absolutely. And for simulcast listeners, we'll obviously link to that article in the uh, show notes accompanying the episode. Uh, and you'll be able to read for yourself this excellently pitched and nicely put together um, written piece. So I guess I'll add my bit to this because obviously this is simulcast. So how does this relate to the simulation community? Now, I would say many of these topics are particularly relevant given that many simulation providers are somewhat isolated in their institutions. They're in an institution that is a healthcare organisation or an educational one, and not always are they surrounded by a community of practice locally. And uh, as you might know, listeners, we've written an article about this and virtual communities of practice in simulation, and I think mentoring is possibly one facet of that. Uh, So before we get into the bulk of the episode, I guess the one thing, and Adira, you just sort of touched on this, but uh, the virtual world has changed that a little bit. And I wanted to see, Risa, did you have anything to add about this particular spin on it, mentoring in a world where we're not seeing as much of each other? Yes. Adara and I spoke a bit about this. Some of the organic conversations and interactions that may happen when everybody's meeting at work, meeting in the office, seeing each other in the department, those type of conversations and relationships aren't quite Uh, being nurtured uh, because of the pandemic, because most of us are working from home unless you do have a shift in the department. And so I do think there has to be something intentional about creating those opportunities, creating those conversations. And, you know, it's not all about promotion and, uh, you know, professional uh, attainment. Honestly, this is about taking care of each other and about checking in and support. And Adara said that. Absolutely. There's a pastoral element to this, as it were, uh, as well as, as you say, those career ambition type ones. All right. So where are we going to go from now? And in fact, I'm very grateful to three friends from the simulation community who've offered us some perspectives on mentors and mentoring. And so you're going to hear their voices throughout the rest of the podcast with a little bit of commentary from us and obviously some expert commentary from uh, Adara and Risa. So the first thing we want to think about is why even have a mentoring relationship? And uh 
I'm going to introduce here Carrie White, who many might know as a simulation leader from Toronto, where she works at St. Michael's uh, as both a simulation coordinator and respiratory therapist. Uh, you might also know she's one of the masterminds behind the very successful Resus TO events. And so we asked her a little bit to reflect on the why of mentoring relationships. Hey, Victoria, thanks for the opportunity to talk about um, mentorship relationships. Um, so I have had, um, what I would call, I guess, informal mentorship relationships, um, over the years and, um, focus, I guess I'll focus on the beginning of my SIM career, um, and, um, call out Dr. Andrew Petrosoniak as probably one of my most memorable mentors and probably, you know, I would even say he still continues to be a bit of a mentor to me, um, but how did he impact my practice and career as a sim educator and sim education researcher? You know, I think that um, despite that relationship being informal, meaning it wasn't formally set up that uh, that this was how it how it would be, it evolved out of um, I would say maybe even a mutual need um, as a non physician. You know. Uh, coming into um, the world of of academic uh, academics and sim education research, it can be a little bit daunting. Um, and I would say that I probably struggled uh, a little bit with um, some imposter syndrome at the beginning. So despite having taken many, many courses on um, sim education and sim education research um, and debriefing and briefing and scenario design, I still felt um, sort of not out of place. Um, but that maybe I didn't belong at times. And so, you know, Andrew's role as a mentor certainly, um, helped to build some confidence. Um, you know, he, tr he established a good relationship of trust, uh, early, you know, he would go on to say that he doesn't, um, necessarily ooze empathy, but, uh, but maybe that's not what was needed at the time. Um, you know, he pushed me or nudged me, I would say, out of my comfort zone um, to help me grow as a sim educator um, and definitely, you know, made the number of opportunities endless uh, for me to practice those skills and to develop those skills and to look at things from a different lens, from the lens of someone who had um, the option to be creative and to think outside of the box and to look at what the opportunities were. Adira, can I start with you here? So what did you draw out of what Carrie had to say here about the why of mentoring relationships? One of the things that I really enjoyed about this clip was that she mentions this idea of a mutual need and that it's not just one person who is going to benefit from this relationship. We all are going to um, develop a connection with someone else who gives and also takes. And so when I think about the, the mentoring relationship, I'm thinking not just about the mentee who, yes, often has imposter syndrome, who often needs to be pushed, who often needs to be given opportunities for creativity, but also the, the mentor. And these are people who like to connect to the youth or folks who are um, earlier on in their career process, who can give a new perspective, who can help still build your network um, and sharpen... like. I personally like to be a mentor because I think it really sharpens my edge as far as what are people talking about? What are the new conversations that are occurring that might not be something that I have easy access to within my career? 
And it also really gives me a lot of job satisfaction, uh, makes me feel more fulfilled with my work. And so there really is a mutual benefit for both parties um, to sort of join into this relationship with one another. Yeah, so you you need a couple of those under 30 mentors who can tell you what's happening in Snapchat or TikTok or whatever they're doing right now. And uh, <laughs> Risa eye rolls, not so sure. What do you think, Risa? What, what about the why of mentoring on Carrie's comments or others? I really liked Carrie's comments and her sharing. It was honest. Uh, it was exquisitely intelligent and it was very generous. Uh, one of the things I drew from her words was this concept of nudging and being pushed outside of one's comfort zone. And I do think that is the role of the mentor. And, um, you know, a mentee-mentor relationship that is mutually trusting, the mentee will go for it. The mentee will grow. I also agree with Adara. There is this concept, and we, this is what we highlight in the article. People think, I'm, I'm stretched thin. It's the pandemic. I'm tired I'm stressed. Uh, I need to take some things off my plate. Let me take mentoring off because that's just a drain. And that's not it. Mentoring is not a drain. And if anything, mentoring is energizing. And that's the piece that I think we really want the audience to take and the frame we want them to adopt uh, of the energizing effect. And now is absolutely not the time to take mentoring off your plate. Actually, now is the time to embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got a little bit further uh, coming up some more on this idea about the energizing or draining impact. Uh, it's fair to say that we probably should have a little bit of a almost counterpoint here, or I guess another perspective on that. Uh, mentoring might or not always feel easy or simple. And so we've got Gabe Reedy to give us a few reflections. Now, another guest and friend of Simulcast, uh, he's the Educational Research Lead for Simulation and Interactive Learning, the Sales Centre at King's College in London. Uh, he's also the Editor-in-Chief of Advances in Simulation, one of the partners for Simulcast. Uh, now, he talks a little bit about some unease with the concept, it's fair to say. So I guess I would say I've not been a particularly good mentor or a mentee in my own career. Um, and I guess I say that because I haven't done any of the things that the literature sort of suggests or recommends when it comes to mentoring relationships. Now, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. But it doesn't mean that my mentors have been any less meaningful or significant in my professional life um, because they've been very powerful um, for, for my own career. I think a lot of us in the academy experience some version of imposter syndrome. And I know I always felt a bit awkward about asking somebody else to mentor me uh, as if it was an imposition. Um, what business did I have asking somebody to take their time to help me? Um, and I was also, I think, aware of my relative privilege. I think there are other people out there who uh, are more clever, more capable, and really can benefit from the support. Um, and, and so I never felt confident or comfortable about asking for mentorship. And on the flip side, I always thought, how presumptuous, you know, how big headed would it uh, be of me to presume that somebody else could learn from me that would want me to mentor them? Um, so I guess that's often held me back a little bit from presenting myself as a mentor. 
So Adira, I'm going to go to you again. Uh, it's fair to say that it's not always easy or comfortable. Your thoughts? I agree with Gabe. I do think it can be quite intimidating for folks if they've never been mentored before to just start the the initial conversation with someone who may or may not be a stranger, may or may not be much more senior than they are. And so it can feel like an imposition. But I always think about it, um, and I think we've addressed this in our article, that it's really flattering to ask someone to help you. And most people are going to do one of two things. They will say yes, I'm happy to help you. And you can move forward with the next steps, um, such as discussing your needs and the expectations of the relationship and setting a, a schedule for meetings, or they'll politely decline. And generally speaking, if someone declines, it's potentially because what you're asking is not their area of expertise or their, their niche, or maybe they just don't have time. But the vast majority of people who decline are not doing so because they are mean or angry that you've you've asked them for a favor. It's generally speaking, because they have maybe a lot on their plate. And so knowing that I think should help people lower that barrier to request help. The other thing I would say is um, I, I started to change my mind frame just a bit as far as what my responsibilities are as a mentee going into relationship with someone. And I think by understanding that I am going to be really carrying the logistics and the operational aspects of the of the connection on my shoulders and it's my responsibility, it then sort of allowed me to realize that what I'm asking for them is actually not much because I'm going to, you know, create the agenda. I'm going to organize the calendar invitations in including Zoom links. I'm going to complete the action items. All I'm doing is asking for a short period of time, you know, in their day, just so that they can offer me support, they can offer me um, insight and guidance, confidentiality, those sorts of things I'm asking them. And by doing that, it made me feel like I'm not really requiring much of this person. And so that helps a lot for me. And that's what I encourage my mentees to do as well when they're seeking out other mentors. Mm, Absolutely. All very useful. As I was thinking about what Gabe had to say, I was recalling when I first arrived in the US in a professional sense uh, 15 years ago, and I wondered about some of this being a little bit cultural because I found North Americans talking about mentoring very explicitly and mentors, whereas that's not something we would have mentioned in such a clear way. Maybe those relationships were there. Now, Risa, you're very well-travelled around the world. Do you think that there is something in this, maybe this uh, shy retiring types in the uh, UK and Australia, maybe we're not as overt about this. Is there something in that, do you think? Well, I think perhaps maybe you identified the same time that I was identified that all of a sudden this was vogue to talk about, vogue to write about, and, you know, a framework that was being established across many different fields, medicine, business, etc. What I found lovely about Gabe's comments was his honesty, um, his humble pieness. And this is the thing, uh, another piece of the differential Adara for why someone may not respond, may not say yes, or even though they're the one in authority, maybe they're the one successful, maybe they are older, they may feel like they're an imposter. And Gabe actually said that. He's like, me, what can I possibly mentor? And so there's always this this sense that 
the other person must be confident, must feel this, must get asked all the time. But who knows what's going on in their mind and their own level of where they are with themselves and comfort with themselves. Another piece that I took from Gabe's words is this concept of age and that you have to wait till a certain age and stage to be a mentor. And it's just not true. And I think no matter what age and stage you are, you are ready to mentor peers, certainly. Uh, You're ready to mentor people above you in age and stage. And certainly, I think you're able to mentor below you in age and stage. It's not sort of this um, one-sided, one-way relationship. It actually is quite back and forth and crosses these things. To address your specific question, Vic, maybe it's cultural, maybe, but another aspect that I pulled from Gabe's comments was an extent to which it's gendered. You know, is there an aspect of if we we play into some of traits of women, traits of men, traits of, you know, um, gendered, you know, non-binary, like, are there certain traits of certain people, certain groups who are less likely to ask for help, less likely to uh, seek out help, uh, and other types of people who uh, want that, need that, and are willing to open themselves up because it's an opening oneself up to a bit of vulnerability to that help. Yeah, on both sides of the coin, actually, both the mentors and the mentees. Uh, Well, this is probably a nice segue into thinking now on some of those practical aspects that you mentioned earlier. And uh, the last voice that you're going to hear on this podcast is Sonia Twigg. She's a paediatric emergency physician who works with our team here at the Gold Coast. And in fact, she was a Sim Fellow last year with Ben Simon, uh, one of our simulcast co-producers. Now, I happen to know that her training has been quite diverse and peripatetic. And here she describes one of her first professional mentoring experiences my first mentoring relationship was actually pretty intense it came at a time when I was a junior registrar stepping up to be in charge on night shifts in a very busy not incredibly well-staffed emergency department and I really wanted to improve so we actually met weekly for the first month and then started to space it out a bit and we would come up with practical small strategies that I could use to improve and uh, then she would do 360 degree feedback with lots of other staff members in the ED and we'd meet again the next week and see how it went. So it was incredibly learning centred and really kind of small practical things like talk a bit slower when you're giving instructions and it really worked for me. But looking back, I wouldn't do that for everybody. And it was almost a performance management approach. Uh, But it was fantastic at the time. And that person is a fast friend now and has been incredibly influential in my career. Adira, there's a lot of practical stuff in what Sonia had to say. Did you want to reflect on that and and tell us your own thoughts about uh, what might work and uh, what's the difference between a mentor and a coach? Well, I'm glad that Sonia had this experience. It sounds like it was incredibly rewarding and beneficial for her just overall career, just being able to become more confident in the clinical realm. But I do agree that um, that there is a distinction here in what she's describing, which is more of a coach. Um, so uh, oftentimes we use the word mentor as a almost a wastebasket term. We just sort of throw everything into it. And what really 
often happens is that we're getting something along a spectrum. So it could be anywhere from advising to, let's say, sponsorship, which I consider is like the top echelon of of how you can be supported by someone else. And so with advising, I think of it as very strategic feedback or pointers, such as when should I take this exam? What resource should I use? What resource should I use for this exam? And someone can give you finite answers. Um, when I think of mentorship, I think of it as more of a, um, a a conversation that can occur where there's confidence um, and that this is a protected conversation, that there's going to be insight. You're giving someone exposure to um, your experience and your perspective, but there, necessar- there might not necessarily be a right or wrong or fixed, clear answer to something that someone's asking you. And then next could be coaching, um, where this is very um, um, directed towards skill set building. And so coaching can be anywhere from I'm really trying to improve my email writing skills or my communication with nursing. And so I would love to practice this and, and improve my um, my performance in this one arena. And a coaching relationship may or may not be longitudinal, um, but it could totally, you know, it could be very finite and, and just focused on, as you said, small practical things. And to me, the the most rewarding of all the types of relationships would be um, able to be someone's sponsor. I I love to be someone's sponsor um, where I can say, I'm in a position where I can help you get to where you need to go. And so um, while I love being a mentor, advisor, and a coach, I really love the opportunity to sponsor someone else and mention their name in a room where we're looking for a, a position to be filled or to write them a letter of recommendation for an award, any of those things that really allows me to pull someone up to where I am gives me a greater sense of um, reward. Mm, Absolutely. Uh, What do you think, Risa, about the terminology thing? I know that in some of the writing that you referenced earlier and literature, there are distinctions between these sponsor, mentor, coach. Surely, though, there's plenty of overlap still and gray zones. Well, first off, I think everything Adara said was just spot on and beautiful. Like really, she nailed it. And uh, thank you for defining those terms for me and for the audience. And I, because I think a lot of people don't quite understand the difference and they just use terms interchangeably. So one of the things is to even know whether a mentoring relationship is working or not. So uh, Carrie reflected on that a little bit for us. How do I evaluate that relationship? Um, again, nothing, nothing formal, um, but definitely quite a few check-ins to make sure that, um, those mutual needs were being met. I think, I think that's probably, um, something that's important that comes out of an informally structured, uh, mentor-mentee relationship. And Gabe rather insightfully added that sometimes you don't even know if you're in a mentoring relationship. I remember I was a couple of years into uh, the relationship with my mentor, the person who by far has been the most significant impact on my professional career. Before I really realized that actually they were a mentor to me. Um, and it was that long before I used those words actually to describe how I looked to them, um, what they meant for me in terms of my own development and my own career identity. Um, I remain uh, extraordinarily grateful to that person. And then we also asked our 
guests if they might reflect a little on mentorships that maybe didn't work. And Sonia was generous enough to share some thoughts with that uh, with us here. The only mentoring relationship I've had that didn't work was really mentors that have been assigned to me, but they were too busy or didn't want to engage for whatever reason. And I would contact them to try and catch up and they just never found time for us to catch up. So we never actually had a mentoring meeting. So in the end, I just gave up on them. What I was going to reflect upon is Sonia's sharing of successful mentorship relationships. And those were that were, I don't want to say unsuccessful, but more opportunities for learning. I think we should think about these relationships similar to how we think about friendships, perhaps similar to how do we think about romantic relationships. Some will succeed, some will not succeed. Some will have um, a natural path and some will uh, stop abruptly. And they're all learning opportunities. Um, And I think you cannot predict what will take you forward. And if we could uh, even refer back to Carrie's sharing uh, with Andrew, she talked about how the nature of their relationship changed when they had direct interaction and one that was less direct, but nonetheless, that thread of mentorship stayed throughout. And then I guess we asked our guests to reflect a little on their role being mentors and whether they found it energizing or draining. And we've got comments here from both Sonia and from Carrie. I've just started mentoring other people. I had one person approach me couple of years ago and I wasn't ready and I couldn't be there for them so I didn't take up that mentoring relationship. I was assigned a mentee who wasn't very interested so that didn't go very far about a year ago and this year I've been assigned a mentee and we're starting to meet every month and find ways that we can help each other, assist each other, can help each other form connections, um, chat and be useful. Or I suppose, really, I should be saying, that's what I'm trying to do for my mentee. But I always think these things are two-way. And actually, I am energised by the mentoring that I'm doing. And um, I find it an immense privilege, actually. But I've only just started, so I'll let you know how it goes. I would say most days it's energising. I think right now, as we work through a pandemic, it's challenging. Um I don't know if draining is the right word. It just feels a little, um, there's a bit of a struggle to make it seem meaningful right now. Um, You're listening to Simulcast. One of the things, just to add to um, Risa's comment that I I really liked also about Sonia's um, remark is that she said that, you know, she wouldn't do um, what was done for her for everyone. And this idea that, um, one sort of size fits all and, and one approach will solve everyone's problems is, is totally spot on. Some people need coaching and they think that they just actually need advice. And, and what you really need to do is provide them in-depth training because they would not be able to figure out or solve the problem on their own. And so being able to sort of um, recognize someone's needs and also how it can be solved is a skill set in itself. And if I can add to what you just said, that Therefore, as a mentor, there's a responsibility. There's a responsibility of maintaining boundaries of the relationship, and there's a responsibility of sharing what you see to actually help the mentee learn what they need because they may not realize what you're seeing and what you think can help them along. Can I? Yeah, it's interesting. I've got it. 
personal experience of that myself recently. I was sent an email saying, can you help this person who doesn't know how to use all their professional development leave that they've accrued? And I wrote back and said, I'm not sure that's the right question. Um, I'm certainly happy to help decide if there's courses or other things that are available, but I can't tell you what your direction is or what your strategy is. I think you need to look to some of your more close career mentors um, rather than me giving advice about courses or other experience. Uh, Adara, you were going to add to that? Um, I was going to add that, you know, it, there is a responsibility of the mentor, but there's also a responsibility of the mentee. And um, we mentioned this in our article, but it's really important for people to have well thought out, to have well thought out questions. They themselves have considered options. They themselves have weighed the pros and cons of a scenario so that when they come to you, Vic or Brisa, they have um, already have this sort of groomed idea of what it is that they need. And so, you know, for instance, if someone comes to me and says, I, I just don't know what to do with my life, and that's that's it, that's very hard to mentor or coach or advise or sponsor through. But if someone's saying, I'm really struggling figuring out if I should do neurosurgery or emergency medicine, these are the pros and cons that I've considered much easier to guide them. And so that 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 thoughtfulness ahead of time really, again, lowers that activation energy, lowers the barrier to start getting that support that you need earlier on. I was going to touch upon the organic nature to some of these relationships and why some work and some don't. Uh, I think it was Sonia that shared that the ones that were actually assigned were the relationships that didn't necessarily work out. And I have to say, I've had a very similar experience. Um, when two people were put together, I was put with someone either as the mentor or as the mentee, um, without any basis for connection or, um, sort of a being motivated to approach on my end, those didn't work as well, uh, as the, the things that sort of, there's a natural connection. There was something in common. There was an overlap of interest. I would like to add to that. I think organic relationships are preferable. I, I, I love them, but I also have had success with paired relationships too. And I think it's because the paired relationships I've had had three elements that are, are, are really key. And that is um, energy is synergistic and compatible, schedules align, and knowledge gaps can be filled. And I think you have to have all three of those elements in, in a row for it to occur. So if you have someone with the knowledge and the schedule, but the energy, the personalities collide, it's just not going to work. And so those three things, I think, really need to be fundamentally present for an organic relationship or an assigned relationship to be successful. You're listening to Simulcast. All right. So, Risa, Adira, we've had quite a lot of chat so far about what works for mentoring and what doesn't. Uh, can I come back as maybe one of our near-the-end comments about this virtual mentoring? Clearly this makes it harder. Um, can I get some some of those practical tips you were talking about earlier? And maybe, Risa, you could kick us off first this time. So in the article, we really highlight some tricks of the trade, we'll call, to be efficient, uh, to really move the reader to think of this not as draining, but actually energizing. Uh, one that I really like is this concept of rather than spending one hour with five mentees, how about, which equals five hours, how about five mentees in one hour? So number one, you maximize time efficiency. Number two, you introduce these mentees to each other so they can be 
peer mentors to each other, with each other, create a supportive environment that continues after your virtual meeting. Um, And it just sort of, if you know that you're going to have the same pieces of advice, be fielding the same questions with five different people, it sort of makes sense to share the knowledge, share the questions, uh, and protect your own time. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of Harvard, they actually have a little newsletter called the Faculty Lounge. And I saw someone there writing about exactly this concept and about having uh, virtual office hours. So extending the idea of traditional academics and their office hours and thinking about it in exactly the way that you have described scheduling uh, a group um, and short meetings uh, in such a time. Uh, Adira, did you want to add to this virtual mentoring conversation? Well, I think one of the things that has been realized during this pandemic is that we have really been limiting ourselves with geographical restrictions. And I can speak for myself when I say initially my mentors were within my department and potentially within my field of practice or my hospital. Um, But for the most part, they were really restricted to that area. And removing that, that boundary and going virtual, I now am connecting with people from across the globe, right? Such as you, Vic. And so I, I think it has expanded our network and that opportunity has really grown exponentially. And so I I have found great success using social media and connecting with people who I otherwise would never see in the hallway. And it's like a snowball effect. After I meet with one person virtually, I ask them for a few more names and I meet with those people and I can just continue to grow my network in that way. Maybe not everyone turns out to be a long-term mentor, but they're still part of my network. They can potentially give me advice. I can potentially help them. It can be symbiotic. And and all the sorts of strategies I was definitely not doing before the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it takes cultivating. I've found that but also trying to keep up with old friends, not even new relationships or new connections, but recognizing that some of the ways that I effortlessly saw people face-to-face haven't happened this year. So thinking, wow, there's a reason I haven't spoken to this person who lives in the UK or this person who lives in Canada, and it makes sense to reach out. So uh, as we start to wrap this up, I guess I'm going to ask both of you for the final advice and tips. We've had many rich thoughts here, and that is to consider mentoring, considering it a little bit intentionally. There are some practical things that enable it, but there also probably needs to be some philosophical um, thoughts about why we're doing it, either as mentors or as mentees. Uh, Adera, can I start with you? take-home tips for the Simulcast listeners? I think if I could get even one person listening to this audio to just reach out to another person who they felt um, previously could benefit them in their career and were previously limited by um, their own imposter syndrome or their their own nerves that they were going to be burdening someone else, if we could just lift that um, that insecurity and give them confidence, I, I would feel very happy um, and feel like this is a success because we all feel like being idle will be fine. And at some point in time, someone will reach out to us and say, please let me mentor you. But you might be waiting a very long time for that. So just encouraging people to reach out, to seek support. And when you feel like you were in a spot to give back, pay it forward. It's the best thing. I find it very rewarding to help others and I want to continue to do so. Mm, Marvellous. Thank you. Risa? Uh, I would like to center this episode on the word permission. I'd like to give people in the audience permission. If you are in a mentor-mentee relationship and for whatever reason, it's not working, uh, 
you are the mentor and you're just not connecting based on the three specific uh, requirements as outlined by by Adara, it is fine. Um, You have a responsibility, though, to help that mentee find someone that is a better fit. Help them find someone that can fill in the knowledge that perhaps you can't. Uh, If you're on the other side, if you're a mentee and it's just not working, I give you permission. It's okay to not continue that mentor-mentee relationship. And in fact, by taking that off your plate and looking, picking your head up and looking around, you will find a load of other mentors who can fill in and maybe are a better match. So I give you permission. Always good to have a word of the podcast, so I think that's a good one to uh, finish on. Uh, Adara and Risa, this has just been a lovely conversation. We've been very fortunate to uh, have the generosity of our guests to use as a trigger for some of those conversations. For Simulcast listeners, I think much to recommend here. Uh, as I said, I will post the link to some of the writing that these ladies have done, particularly on uh, in the Harvard Business Review article that we talked about, uh, and also some thoughts about where we can go for some of our organisations that offer mentoring umbrellas or connections within the simulation community because there are quite a few of those. Uh, but Adara, Risa, thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is Victoria Brazel signing off for Simulcast. You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation.